This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. Hey friends, welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Each episode, I sit down with a guest to discuss their life journey and how the grace of God has impacted them along the way. After listening to today's episode, I hope you are encouraged that God can use you right now in the midst of your day-to-day life. Yes, it requires daily surrender and trust, but we must remember His grace is enough. I hope your summer is off to a fantastic start. Something I love about summer travels is binge listening to my favorite podcasts and new podcast recommendations. If you are ever in need of a recommendation, please hop over to Instagram or Facebook and ask me at graceenoughpodcast underscore Amber. Of course, I would be thrilled if you would share Grace Enough Podcast with a friend, encouraging them to subscribe and binge listen during their summer travels too. Before today's conversation, I would like to introduce you to our sponsor, Spirit-Filled Woman Magazine. In an age of confusion with opinions, myths, and stereotypes coming from all directions, Spirit-Filled Woman Magazine exists to equip women to sort through the confusion and instead walk by the Spirit in grace and truth. Each issue of this print magazine is designed to include content pertaining to women of all ages, stages, and backgrounds, showing them how relevant and applicable God's Word is to their lives. If you are anything like me, there is something about holding a magazine in your hands, flipping through its pages, viewing beautiful images, and reading articles along the way. What makes Spirit-Filled Woman Magazine even better is its focus on God's Word. A magazine subscription is a great gift to give to any woman in your life. To gift or purchase an issue or subscription, visit spiritfilledwomanmag.com. That's spiritfilledwomanmag.com. This week, I sit down with the director of Created Women, Jillian Penhill. Created Women is an organization that focuses on developing relationships with women exploited in the sex industry through street outreach, club outreach, and brothel outreach. I was first introduced to Created Women while living in Tampa, Florida. My friend Whitney was a street outreach volunteer, and she shared stories of evenings she spent loving women involved in prostitution. I began to learn more about the work Created is doing and wanted to have Jillian on the show to give us a more in-depth look at how we can support women in our own communities who are experiencing sexual exploitation. Hi, Jillian. Welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I thank you so much for being here this morning. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Will you take a moment as we get started and introduce us to you, your family, and tell us a little bit about what you do? Yeah, so I'm Jillian, uh, Jillian Penhale. I serve as the executive director at Created Women in Tampa, um, and we serve women who are coming out of the um, trafficking in the sex industry. And so my family a little bit, I'm married to Paul, and he's a social worker. He works for uh, in the foster care system. And then we have three kids. So we have two boys, Anthony and Ontario. They're five and two. And then we have Rose, who is five months old. Oh, wow, girl, you are, you are in the throes of it. Yes, I am. Yes. <laughs> Lots of, lots of diapers and pee in my life, for sure. Oh, yeah. girl. Mine are now nine, six, and three. And while three-year-olds 
everybody who's listening know that is, it's a struggle for me. A three-year-old is just a struggle for me. I can't tell you what it feels like to no longer have diapers in my house. <laughs> yes. I, I mean, cannot- who do? <laughs> yes. It's such freedom. It's like, whoa, I don't walk down the baby aisle at Target anymore. Yeah, definitely. So crazy. Well, as we get started, I just want to talk a little bit about created what it is, kind of how it came about. I mean, I know you've been in the executive director role for a couple of years, but you've served there in the past. So if you'll kind of walk our listeners through what does creative do on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. So created works, um, like I mentioned, we work with women who are coming out of vulnerable situations. So women are coming out of prostitution, um, sex trafficking, the sex industry. And our goal is to provide a place of belonging and refuge for every woman that we meet um, that's coming from that situation. So that can look so many different ways. So we have the outreach side of our organization, which is actually how we started. Um, We started about 12 years ago in Tampa and primarily starting with street outreach. So meeting women who are meeting them where they're at, offering them friendship. We always bring bringing them gifts of toiletries and just um, little things that they might need, um, snacks and things like that. And so through our outreaches, which now we do street, we have club outreaches. We also um, have brothel outreach. It's the same goal of just meeting them where they're at, trying to build a relationship and say, hey, um, if you need somewhere to talk or if you, you know, just want to figure out what other options you could have or if you if you need detox, if you need just to go to church or like whatever it is you need, like we're here, this is where we are, come by our office, any of those things. So that's really kind of where everything starts. And then we have care programs, which um, we have a residential home where women can live for up to two years and just kind of work through their process of healing and recovery. So they go through drug treatment, they get trauma counseling, they get job training, they get all of those things to kind of help them rebuild their lives. We also have a non-residential program um, where they get the same services. We just help them find housing outside of our residential home. We can only house up to nine women in our home. And so the reality is we're getting calls every week for women that are looking for that. So we had to come up with other options to try Mm -hmm. to continue serving them. And there's just not enough homes for women that are like specialized in like helping with healing and recovery. So yeah, that's really like through all of our programs though, the the same thing runs through is like, we just want to give you belonging. We want you to know that you're welcome here. We want you to know that you can heal here. You can, you can work through your past trauma and you have a family around you that's going to help you do that. We also are a community of empowerment. So the women who have been through our program will step up as leaders in that too. And so that even provides more of like, hey, I've been through it too. So our staff team, there's nine of us and um, five of those are survivor leaders that have been through it, walk the steps, all of those things. So it's like, I think that's such an important part of our community. It's like, we're not just saying like, hey, you can do this. It's like, hey, we're all broken women. Mm-hmm. We've all had our own trauma we've all had our own hurts and so we're here and we're ready to like walk through it together so that's what kind of differentiates created too in that like we're definitely a community model um we're not really a treatment center we're not really any of those things just trying to provide a place of of community and healing now we do outpatient all of those services because they're very important right but our us at our core is just that community that's going to say like you know we're with you and and we support you and and we're here when you mess up and we're here when you are doing well but we just want to provide that sense of family well i lived in tampa for eight years and came to learn about created because my friend Whitney was a volunteer. She at the time, I think was doing street outreach. Mm -hmm. Gosh, that seems so long ago. She has like seven children now. You know, (laughs) 
It's like so crazy. But something that you can probably speak to a little bit, just so our listeners know, I mean, this type of ministry, this type of community is needed in a lot of cities, in a lot of places around the U.S., but there's some things about Tampa that really sets it apart. Can you share a little bit about that? I know that that may catch you off guard, but you probably get asked that all the time. Yeah, no, that's a great question because because it is true. I mean, I think thankfully to a lot of the um, trafficking awareness that's out there right now in our country, like a lot of people know like, okay, this is happening everywhere. It's happening in every city. The reality is there are some places that it's happening more frequently. Um, And so I think the, uh, in Tampa, we're actually third in the U.S. for the the amount of women, children, and men that are brought into the city, like brought into the country for the purposes of sex trafficking. So that's because we have a large port here. We have an international airport. We have lots of sports teams and things like just lots of reasons why people could be brought in through a city. So we're third in the nation for that. Tampa also has more strip clubs per capita than any other city in the U.S. And so when you think about that now, of Strip clubs are a legal business, but mm-hmm. uh, here in Tampa, at least. Um, but if you think about like, okay, that means that Tampa is known with men's and John to like travel for sex tourism. Like yeah. Tampa is a spot that people come to because of that, because it's so readily available. And if we have more strip clubs per capita than the other city, then you have to think the underbelly of that legal side has to be even more. So there's recently a, a research article done that also said that we have, we're also third in the nation for the amount of illicit massage parlors in a city in the U.S. So like all of those things just kind of show that, okay, this is definitely a huge issue that's happening in Tampa, but also we just don't have a lot of like th- things have gotten a little better, but there's just not a lot of laws and that are really addressing the demand and that are really like criminalizing people who are purchasing that even makes it like, okay, well, it's just going to continue happening. Um, we haven't become very strict in those areas. And again, there's lots of advocates and people um, that are working to make that better, but it's just not a reality right now. So yeah, Tampa is just still known for that. I would say one issue that's in, that comes very particular to Tampa. Cause so I grew up um, like in Oklahoma and in the Midwest. And so sure clubs were just not a thing. <laughs> like, Listen they're... girl, when I moved to Tampa, I was like, what in the world is happening? And my husband grew up in that area. He's like, what yeah. do you mean? I'm like, there's a strip club or like, like oh. an advertisement that basically says, come do yeah. these things everywhere. It's crazy. Yeah, it is. And that's. I think that's one of the things where it's like now living in Tampa for so long, it's like it becomes so normal. Yes. And it's just like such a fabric of our city that people don't think about it. Yeah. And they don't think about what is the reality that's happening in these places. I was at a training um, with a different organization. They shared a statistic that um, some research was done that showed 92% of women who are working in a strip club were sexually abused as children. Yeah. So it's like, even like when you're thinking for creative, it's like we always think about, okay, well, why is the woman in here in the first place what happened because people will often point out like oh well you know but the women who are especially in tampa people be like yeah but the women who are working in clubs like they're not trafficking victims yeah or they're choosing to be here because they just love doing this so yeah i think just thinking about you know what what are the things that happened in their lives that led them to here? Because no child is ever like, that's what I want to do when I grow up. That's how I want to make my way through college is is to dance and to strip and like all those things it's just not it's not a normal thing. So it's like, it has to come from, from somewhere and it has to come from, from some brokenness that's happening, mm-hmm. um, whether to them or around them. And that's what we always try to remember is there's so many individual stories. We not we try not to generalize the women that we're working with. And that's Absolutely. why uh, we just kind of say like, we serve women who have been sexually exploited because everyone falls into that category as far as if they're working in the sex industry. Absolutely. Just a different story. I mentioned earlier that you have 
served at Created in a volunteer role before taking on director. And so kind of take us back and tell us a little bit about your volunteer experience, how you got started, what you saw through Created in the early days up until now. I started as a volunteer at Created, gosh, it has to be like seven years ago now, which seems crazy. But through a church conference that I attended, started hearing about human trafficking in, in the world. I think I was at I was in a class where an international justice mission spoke, which is so funny because I hear that story from so many people now that are in like anti-trafficking work is like, oh, I heard an international justice mission. So good job, guys. But I was in a class and they were just sharing about this issue in particular. And I just really felt my heart break in a different way than it had for like other social justice issues that I had worked in. And, and, you know, I've done a lot of mission work and I've done a lot of different things, um, but it was just something different where I felt like I was like, no, I, I want you to like figure this out. Like, I want you to to think about this more. And so I did. And when I went back home to Tampa, I started just researching organizations and things that were happening in Tampa. And I came across Created um, through a friend. And I remember um, emailing um, the director at at the time, her her name is Keisha, Mm -hmm. and just saying like, hey, you know, I'm interested. What do you guys do? do?" And we emailed back and forth a little bit. And then um, through the church that I was in at at that time, we had also started um, doing a club outreach to women at, at the clubs. Now I look back at it, this is so like overly excited passion of like just not looking at what's happening around me and just trying to go for it. Um, So we like made a team and we're like, oh, well, let's just go to the clubs. Let's just figure out. Not realizing there was already people doing that. Right. (laughs) But like, let's go and start visiting women. And so I had started doing club outreach a little bit. And so I remember meeting with Keisha and she was like, oh, you've been to the clubs and you've done these things. And she's like, have you been trained? Have you, (laughs) have you learned about like why women are there and, and what the issues are? And I was like, no, I'm just trying to figure it out. And so she invited me to a training that they were doing, thank God, where um, they were training people to go out on street outreach. Cause at that time in Tampa, there was a big convention coming to the city. And so they were going to do street outreach every night that week because they knew that um, women would be brought in for, um, for that. I went to this training and I kind of was like, you know, I was thinking I was in a place of like, yeah, I want to learn and I want to, I want to get involved, but I didn't really know what commitment level I wanted. And so I went to the training and that week had my first street outreach experience. And on street outreach, what we literally do is we have four people that kind of pack into a car together from 1130 PM to like 1 AM. And we just drive up and down the area in our town that's known for prostitution and just look for women. Um, If we see a woman who's by herself then we'll stop and we have a gift for her. And we'll normally we just say something like, you know, we're just making sure that women out here are safe and, and do you need anything? And hopefully that leads into more conversation or she just tells us to go away and that's fine too. <laughs> that was my first night of street outreach. And I remember there was one woman um, that we stopped for. Um, and as we walked up to her, um, we were in a parking lot and she just sat down and just started crying and started walk, rocking like back and forth as she was crying. And, and she just kept saying, I'm just a trick. I'm not worth anything. Don't talk to me. Like she knew who we are. Creative does have a reputation on the street. I didn't know then, but I know now um, we have a reputation. So people kind of know what's happening when we stop for them. And so she was just like, don't talk to me. I don't feel like I like basically saying like, I don't, I don't feel like I deserve to like be talked right, to. I like, don't have value or worth thing. Yeah. And so like, I mean, I wish I could say it was like some miraculous moment where we were able to instill that into her, but it wasn't. We tried to talk to her. We gave her the gift and she got up and she walked away and 
And I just remember like that first night feeling like, oh my gosh, like this is the devastation that exists in our city. And this is the depravity um, mm-hmm. that, you know, this issue is is causing of, of, you know, men purchasing women for sex. And like, there is a huge expense for the self-worth of all women, but especially the women that are, that are there. And so like, this is the reality. And so like that, that just hit me so hard that night of like, this is the reality. And I remember driving in the car um, with the team afterwards and we were all praying for her and just kind of talking through um, what just happened. And I just remember being like, yeah, God, thank you that created's, created's here. And, you know, this is so needed. Like I see the need and I see why it's so important. And I remember God being like, no, I want you to be here. And I was like, yeah, I'm so glad created's here. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that's so great that created's doing this. And I just kept like uh, reminding me, like, no, this is where I want you to be. So I just started, I started volunteering on street outreach and um, would go out about once or twice a month um, just to try to meet women. And every experience was just like more and more like, yeah. And they weren't great experiences, but they were like, yeah, this is where I need to be. Like, this is important. These women are important. I want to be able to make sure that they feel seen and that they feel heard. And so kind of as time went on, um, I just got more and more involved. And at the time I was actually getting my, um, in school, getting my master's in nonprofit management. And so I had all these projects projects that I had to do for a nonprofit because like basically in that school they want you to learn all the aspects so they're like okay we'll work with a nonprofit to learn right. that aspect I would just pick creative for every project and I just worked with the director um, at the time and I um, and so I just got more and more involved that way even in the admin side and as that kind of came to a close and I graduated I just felt more and more um, like God was leading me to step down I was working for a large nonprofit at the time and just kept feeling more and more that God was calling me to step down and and go to create it even though even though that it was costly I mean I was definitely taking like a lower salary it was going to be more time it was going to be all these things but I really just felt like God was like no this is where I want you to be so I did so that's probably about five years ago um, that I left my previous job and I started with created first working in the residential home. So I was a residential coordinator. And so that was, I mean, a trip to just like start and kind of be working with the women who are in the home every day. They definitely kind of like hazed me in the beginning. <laughs> testing my limits and but really it was a good practice of like, okay, well, am I going to be here even when um, people don't want you? You, I think uh, in, in any ministry, but definitely in created, so many times we go into it. Oh, yeah, this is going to be so great. Like all the lovely feels, but it's like, no, real ministry is hard. And, you know, people are broken and they mm-hmm. don't want your help. And they right. don't. They don't want your, you know, good, good words or whatever you think that you can give. And at the end of the day, I think that's the biggest thing I've had to learn is like, all I can really offer is Jesus and the kindness and the peace that he brings. So if I'm not leading with that, then I don't know what they can really learn from me. So that, yeah, working in the home at first was definitely great. But just learning those inner workings and like what it really takes to make it through um, the residential program and what kind of elements are needed. And then about a year and a half after I started there, the director the time was um, stepping away to pursue some different ministry opportunities. And so she asked me to take over as executive director. And so that was very shocking <laughs> at the time to me. But really, I think now, you know, it's just amazing to see the growth and the the changes that have taken place, um, not just from me, but like from our team that, that we have and the ways that God has just like grown our program in these last three years, just to continue serving and continue to continue uh I think at the like anything that we do as created, the heart of it is like we want to pursue women and we want to see we want to see them restored. So like anything that we can 
do to help that happen, to aid in their process or to meet more women. We're just trying to do that. Yeah, well, and speaking of that, I know that restoration is such a long process. And I know Created's ultimate goal is for some of, you know, for these women to experience the freedom in Christ. But it's not the way your typical evangelical person who has maybe never actually served in a ministry where people are truly broken from a Mm -hmm. lifetime of things that have happened to them. So you don't just go in and preach the gospel. Like that's not the way it works. It's a love. It's a tenderness. It's a, I'm here. I'm going to stay. I'm going to, I want to be your friend. But I know the ultimate goal is for them to eventually experience that freedom in Christ because that's all that's really mm-hmm. going to bring them freedom in the end. So yeah. I know you face obstacles and you've mm-hmm. also seen success stories. Can you share a few of just those obstacles and maybe a few success stories with us? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, you're right. I've created is a faith-based organization. And I think one of the main obstacles with that is that a lot of our women have been unfortunately traumatized and or abused in the church as well. Mm-hmm. And so that is a very, that's part of the obstacle that we face is even being a faith-based organization and trying to teach women like, no, we agree those things were not right. That happened to you by these people in the church. You know, those things were wrong. And like, we don't excuse it just because they happen to claim to be Christians too, mm-hmm. you know, and trying to teach them and exemplify like the fruits of the spirit, which again, that's hard to do on a daily basis Absolutely. and show them like, no, this is what it looks like walking with Jesus. This is what, this is what it means. Um, so that's a huge part of just for our staff team, just like a daily walking in and out and trying to make sure that we're never forcing anybody. Another obstacle with that issue in particular is, You know, a lot of the women, um, part of the trauma that we have learned through just trauma-informed care trainings and just different things like that is, you know, one of the attributes of that is women will be very complacent or very people-pleasing just to survive. So it's like, okay, if I can just figure out how you'll be okay with me so I can survive, then I'm just going to do that thing. So a lot of women will come in in the first week be like, oh yeah, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And if we're like looking at it from just an unrealistic expectation, we're just like, yes, oh my gosh, yeah, first week she's accepted Christ. But no, she's just trying to showcase what she thinks that we want, but that's not what we want. So we're constantly having that conversation of like, no, like we want you to be you. If you're open to that, that's great. But like, you don't have to do that for us. Like you don't have to pretend or not who you are and you can ask the hard questions and all that. So I think just that obstacle to community life, constantly that conversation of like, you can be you. And a lot of times you don't even know who you is. Like, I mean, neither do I, neither does anybody. Um, So it's like, you don't know who that is, but we'll try to help you get there. And we'll try to help you find that. And then I think obstacles for created in particular, I mean, in the U.S., for sure, it's not true in, in all countries, but in the U.S., um, drug addiction is such a part of trafficking and prostitution and all of that. Um, so I think that is one of the biggest obstacles we face is that addiction piece because um, relapse is very common in our community. And so that is just one of the hardest things to continue working through and and to kind of know what's the right decision in all the moments when things happen, you know, because, you know, reups can happen. It doesn't mean that they like don't want it. It doesn't mean that they're not committed. It means that this is a part of, this is a disease that they're facing and this is a part of the hurt that has been done to them. And so um, I think that is- I'm going to interrupt you because whoever may be listening to 
I think we have to put it in the perspective of it's so easy to judge sometimes someone who like, why would you choose alcohol again? Why would you choose drugs again? Why would you choose prostitution again? But it's really no different than our own sinful nature and whatever sin we choose that we struggle with. Maybe that's overeating. Now, I'm not comparing the two and saying they're equal. I'm just saying that we are all one choice away from falling back into our sinful patterns. And so you can't, I mean, it's just unrealistic to expect or think that they're crazy because they do that. It's part of our sinful nature for us to go back to the things that we have done in our lives. And it's a comfort zone. I think that's so true. I think that that's one of the biggest questions that we often get with new volunteers and people is like, don't, why don't, like, basically, like, why aren't the women in outreach just like falling over themselves to come to create it? Because like, they see, they can see this option and they can see a way out. Like, how are they not just falling over themselves? And it's like, for that to be true, you're discounting all of the trauma, all of the pain, all of the ways that they've learned how to survive. I mean, the women that we serve are survivors. Like, they have learned to survive in the most difficult circumstances imaginable and how to protect their brains, how to protect their body, how to protect all these things. And so it's like, we have to recognize that as like, yeah, no, nobody's going to fall over themselves to come to our program because it's not an easy choice. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and you're giving up what has been your life for so long. So yeah, even though I can look at it and be like, yeah, but that life is painful and hard. You can't make that decision for somebody. And so, um, but you're right. It's definitely, it's like, these are, these are comforts that I might not understand it, but I can, I can empathize that like, yeah, I do have struggles too. And I have things that I do that are not healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do them when I'm struggling. And so, um, but that's one of the biggest obstacles I would say in our community. And I think it it does often feel, I think for our team and um, kind of what we were talking about before, the things that we're pursuing, it does feel like it's not understood a lot in like the broader city of like what we're really doing. Because again, it's like, there's a lack of education about trauma. There's a lack of, um, I mean, and again, even though trafficking awareness has become so much bigger, it's like there's just still often the awareness that's been created. It looks a very specific way, like the movie Taken or like yes. something like that. And it's like that's not I mean, it can very rarely look like that, but that's not generally what it looks like. And so I think um, just all of those factors, it can feel very isolating as a ministry of, you know, how to like, how can we get people to understand where we're coming from and who the real women really are? Um, like, like, we never want to misrepresent present who they are like I don't want to act like it's like taken because it's not um it's like hard decisions and it's childhood trauma and it's all these things that um, relate to our lives and so that's definitely some of the obstacles we face and I think some of the you know stories that we have I mean I every day there's just amazing moments that are happening when you really stop and look at them because it can also feel very overwhelming every day but just the women that are fighting every day for their healing for their recovery it's just amazing to watch you know like I mentioned created itself has been around for 12 years our residential home has been um, operating for about 11 of those 12 years. And we have had, I think the last time we counted, I think it's around 145 women have graduated out of our programs in that time. And again, relapse is common, so it doesn't mean that all of them are doing very, are doing super well. But I think we're, right now we have it where 40% of the women who've come into the sanctuary are still living in a place where they are working a good job, they have their own housing, they're they're pursuing like all of those things. Um, and so, and we see that as huge 
a huge success and a huge win. You know, to get a little more specific, um, we have we have a woman who um, just celebrated like 10 years clean. And that's an amazing victory. And that's an amazing story. So I think anytime we have those celebrations of, you know, one year, um, 30 days, 10 years, it's like, that's a victory. And that's something that we can give to God. And um, I mentioned we have like five members of our staff team are graduates from our program. So to watch them every day, like reinvest their lives into the women that we're serving and use their stories to just cultivate you know, change that nobody else could. <laughs> um, it's amazing. We have one one of our staff members. She actually came out of the uh, brothels and clubs. And so she now leads our outreach team that goes back into the clubs. And so wow. that's just an amazing story. And and she did the work of healing and, and going through counseling and all these things to be ready to do that. And so that's just such, it, it's an amazing testimony of this, but she felt like God was saying to her, like, I want you to go back and help the same women that you were with. Yeah. Um, so I think those those victories every day and again, like getting to work alongside women who have survived and are survivor leaders now is just uh, it keeps me going as like, OK, this is possible. Like we can do this and we can. And I think even our team, like and even um, our survivor leaders, like we talk about all the time in staff teams, how sometimes it can feel like, oh, why is nobody they can feel frustrated, like, OK, I did it. Why won't why aren't the women doing it and it's like because everybody has their own journey and everyone has their own story but it's like all it's all the small moments that really matter like the graduating a drug treatment the starting trauma therapy and like it's all the small steps because even when a relapse happens or something or something happens and a woman like decides to leave our program we can always go back and think like okay but she made it this many months clean this time and she actually made it through these classes and these life skills that she never had before and the likelihood of her coming back sooner from that relapse is so much higher than it was before. And we see that all the time. I think one thing that differenti- differentiates created is we pretty much have an open door policy um, for our women. So we know that it, it can take one, two, three, four times of coming into that door ag- again to really commit to like lifelong healing. And so, I mean, even um, one of our previous staff members, she would always joke because she um, left created six times. <laughs> Um, before she finally stayed and made it through. And, and, but she would tell that story to women because she's like, yeah, you're going to want to leave one day and it's yeah. and it's okay because it's your process. Um, and so I think, but those are the stories that really continue to give us all hope of just like, okay, well, this might happen and we're devastated, but we know that like God is still pursuing her and the likelihood of her coming back is that much stronger. Yeah, She has experienced these things. Um, and so I think that's what kind of keeps us, keeps us going. Um, and I think from our outreaches too, it's like, uh, like I mentioned with one of the obstacles, it can feel very isolating, but, but God continuously like brings new volunteers and new churches that want to commit to us. Um, and one thing that we're just like, is like a major praise for us. So we've, we've been doing our street outreach and our club outreaches for years. And it was about four years ago that we started our um, brothel outreach, which in Tampa brothels. So, I mean, and for those who maybe don't know, like a brothel is literally just a place that's used for the prostitution. Um, there's not that much to the definition. That's what it is. Um, And it can look very different in different cities. And in Tampa, there's, of course, houses that are used as brothels. That's a little harder to figure out where they are um, and to really do outreach. But we have massage parlors and we also have lingerie shops. So the massage parlors are illicit massage parlors and lingerie shops. If you're in a city that also has those, they usually like will have some neon sign that on the outside says modeling. Somebody will go in and the one the women who are there working will come out in lingerie and the man picks one and that's how it works. And um, sim, it's very works very much the same way in massage parlors. It's just the guise of massage 
massages are that much more prevalent. But in Tampa, and and people always ask, like, well, how do you know which one's which? But in Tampa, it's so obvious. I mean, I'm sure it's like this in most cities. But like, all the windows are blacked out. There's like neon signs. It kind of has a feel of a club, honestly. And then like from the outside. And well, and then- if people are flooding into these places at like six o'clock and beyond, let that be your telltale sign. <laughs> Literally on the doors, it will say open from, like, we have a couple that, like, on the doors, it's, like, open from 9 p.m. to 2 a.m. Nobody is giving a legitimate massage at 9 p.m. to 2 a.m. Yeah, and nobody's, like, going in to buy lingerie at that time either. So it's just one of those things. But um, as we started testing and seeing, like, testing the waters and seeing, like, okay, will we be welcome here? Like, can we build relationships with the women? Is this an open door? We realized pretty quickly that in Tampa, the majority of the women working in the massage bars are Korean women. And so there was a massive language barrier. So out of the 20, I think right now we go to 22, and there are 20 that are specifically Korean women. And there's even more in Tampa that we haven't gone to yet, but there's, of the ones we go to, there's 20 that are specifically Korean women. So we just continued to pray and pray and pray and say like, okay, well, can we like bring down this cultural barrier? How can that happen? And we've had, we had different um, Asian women that came onto the team, but they were still like, they weren't Korean. So there was still like that barrier. And then um, this past year, we actually had a volunteer who started with us. That was a Korean woman and from South Korea. And so she was able to like start talking. And then she literally sat down our outreach director and was like, Hey, you know, you've been doing really good. Like, I'm really glad that you guys have been pursuing women here. But like, just let me take it over because they're never going to talk to you. Exactly. And she was like, I'm just telling you, like, I know Korean culture. Like, they're not going to talk to you. And so she's like, let me take it over. I'll build a team. And so we were like, okay, like, we'll see what happens. And so now she's built a team of like four Korean women that are all from like Korean churches in Tampa. They go in every month and they can go in and they can talk for like 45 minutes, an hour to the women um, in the massage cars. And so it's just like, it's again, God showing us, no, like I will make a way. I will bring people to you. So even when it feels isolated, it feels like, you know, how, who's going to come to help? Where is the church? It's like God continuously brings people and it's like, no, people, people are there. People want to do this. Um, So that's just been an amazing answer to prayer to have that. And it's been so good and so intentional and like the conversations that they're able to have, like they've learned so much about like the inner workings than we could have ever gathered or learned. And it's- well, and I think sometimes that can be a common misconception too. And you could speak to this because it's not like I have a lot of experience, but particularly with the Korean women or people brought from a different culture, sometimes you're not even aware that what is going on to with you and to you is not okay. I mean, I think we yeah. all feel it in our spirit. I don't like this. Yeah. But if it's something where you're young and someone has, this has been your life for a long time, Mm -hmm. you don't even know that, yeah, the reason why you feel that like uncomfortable feeling is because God did not create you to be used by people. Yeah, it's definitely very true. And I mean, I mean, we see this in a couple of different places in creative, but particularly with women who are brought into Tampa. So I mentioned like in the U.S. primarily with trafficking, um, people will use drugs and things to make women compliant. But with women from countries that they're already living in some form of oppression, um, whether it's government or whatever, it's like like a lot of the women who work in the Korean massage bars are actually North Korean. So they're coming from, they are actually women who have generally tried to flee 
North Korea got into a certain city in China where they're then so vulnerable to traffickers that convince them like, oh, I have jobs for you in the U.S. and they come over and do it. I mean, it's, it really is that thing where it's like, OK, well, I'm still sending money back to my family. And so it's a matter of survival. And so people people call it survival sex where it's like, OK, I'm doing this to survive and I'm sending money back to my family. And that's what it is. And honestly, and then even with us, like we have the conversation all the time of like, well, what could we even offer them if they want to leave? Because you can't. We can't send them back to where they are from necessarily, um, especially like in that situation, because they could be killed. And then where would they want to go? Like, could they get even like legal status here? Like what? So many. And I mean, there are like um, T visas and stuff that help trafficking victims, thankfully. But um, so it's just one of those questions where it's like, it is a thing where the the conversations are harder because the women might recognize like, oh yeah, this, this is what I'm doing. But do they see it as like something that they want to be are they seeing the other options as possible? Like I wouldn't have to do this and I wouldn't, and I could do something else. It's like, are we seeing that as a possible option? And that can happen. I mean, that can happen with American women and prostitution and, and clubs as well. But I think it's definitely more prevalent um, with people who are brought into the country, like as trafficking victims. But I mean, but again, like it can definitely be the same with domestic women as well. But I think just because they've been raised in a society or told at some point in class and wherever that like there are other options, like those are easier to see. Yeah. Whereas um, some people might not have been told that. Well, I know some people who are listening are going to want to know this. And so if you can share a little bit about how you guys do develop these relationships that actually allow you to go into, you know, strip clubs, (laughs) massage parlors. I mean, I think most people would say whatever the people who own these things are saying, no way, we're not letting you in here because you're wanting to take our people. So tell our listeners a little bit about how that relationship develops. Um, That's definitely the most, one of the most common questions we get is like, why do the managers let you come in? And then, I mean, obviously there's street outreach, like nobody's going to prevent you from doing that. But um, when it comes to clubs and the brothels, so we go in and we try to go in in some of the most like unassuming ways that we can. With that, we always have gift bags for all the women and then also cupcakes. And we also bring extra set of cupcakes that we give to the managers and the doormen and all that. So I think we go in with the intention to treat everybody with kindness. We're not like walking in and like dissing the managers or like, you know, because of however we might feel about them. The reality is that they need somebody to minister to them too. That might not be our specific call, but like they need that too. And so we're trying to treat them with kindness and, um, and gentleness. And so I think just having that as your approach. And I mean, the first times that you, we've gone to places, we literally will go in and be like, Hey, this is who we are. We, and we normally say it something like, Hey, we know we just, we just wanted to bring gifts to the women that work here. Um, is it okay if we do that? And so we kind of asked for that permission and we've never, we've only had like, there's been like one place that said no, but we just look for those open doors and we, and we kind of fall there lead to like, we have some clubs where like they only will let us go talk to the women in the dressing room. They don't want us like out on the floor. And that makes sense. Like they are business. Um, and so, and honestly, we want to get to the dressing room anyway. We consider that like the, the best place that we can Absolutely. be. Absolutely. It's like the women are getting ready. We have more time to talk. We have more time for all of that. Um, so with strip clubs, it was, it's very much that. Would it be okay if we come and we just give these gifts to the women? That's it. And if they ask us like, well, why? Who are you? It's just like, you know, we just feel like we want to show them love. We just want to feel like we want to show them care. So we don't go into depths about like who created is and like, you know, any of that. And I think this sad reality for clubs, at least, is like for every woman that will leave, they have like three or four applying. So like they're not worried about us taking wow. them. 
Like they're really not. And I think that's the reality of the sex industry and sexual exploitation as a whole. Every woman is viewed as very replaceable, but whether it's a trafficker, a pimp, a club manager, anything, the women are very replaceable. And that's a hard reality for anybody to think about, but for the women who come into create it as well, like that's a hard reality to learn while they're here because they've been like their boyfriends, their, their like family while they were there, mm. but it's they don't care that they left. The reality is like none of them are trying to get arrested. So if a woman leaves, they're not going to like, it's very, I won't, I won't say it never happens because I'm sure people will be like, no, there's stories where that happens, which I'm sure there is. But it's the rare occurrence. It's a rare occurrence that you have somebody that's like very aggressive and like will chase somebody down because they left, at least with like the adult women that we're working with. I've heard with minors that it can be very different. So that's for strip clubs. For brothels, it was very different because um, we had to learn that we're walking into like a different cultural context. Because it is mostly Asian women, um, we had to kind of learn from some brothers and sisters that have that cultural competency. And like, so we go in a little differently. So we don't bring in gifts that we give out because in that culture, like they would feel like they have to give something in return when they receive a gift. Mm-hmm. So what we do is we bring like makeup items and things and they can pick from a basket, but it's not like, we're giving them a gift. It's like, we say like, you know, these are free makeup items. Like we don't call it a gift at all. And we've even like found in our basket often, like people will stuff money back into the basket. Wow. (laughs) After taking like makeup items. Yeah. And see now like they'll bring like fruits and like um, healthy foods because that's what the women like really want. So we try to learn like what the women are interested in and with the brothels, they don't usually have a manager on site. They usually have somebody that's running the window. So it's just getting by that person. And sometimes they won't let us and sometimes they will. So it's just like trying to build a repertoire with the person at the window and say like, Hey, we just want to, you know, bring something for the women and let them know that like they're loved. And so we just usually word it like that. For us, it's really kind of the learning process of we just go in with the assumption that we belong there. If people pick up on that, that's great. If people decide we don't belong there, okay, we'll leave. Like, that's cool. It's your business, you know? Right. Uh, but we're just going to go in like we like we belong there. And like, this is totally normal. And so when people react to us like it's not normal, we're just like, oh, no, yeah, we're just here to love the women. And that's so needed when you're trying new outreach in a new place. It's like you have to like pump yourself up and go in like it's going to be no problem and I belong here because the reality is Jesus is already there and he's already working. Such a good perspective. We'll make the way in that place. So and then again, like what we have had closed doors. We had like a woman chase us out once (laughs) over the parlor and we've had um, club managers say no. So I think when that happens, you just respect it. And and say like, okay, well, let's go, let's go look for the next open door. Well, tell us what are some things that created needs? Like how does someone volunteer or help created in their ministry endeavors? Oh, that's great. So, I mean, so if somebody's in the Tampa area, there's so many ways to volunteer. I mean, so our outreach teams are always looking for new members. So we we do trainings um, with anybody who comes on. And, and normally people will pick one of the three, so street, brothel, or club. And so we'll train people for that. We also have um, all of our women have mentors. Um, we have volunteers that help transport the women to and from appointments. We have like literally volunteers can do whatever they want. Like I always just ask people like, well, what do you want to do? Those are things that we can figure out a way to do that. Um, whether it's like teaching a class or like doing a, a craft time with them or 
or whatever. We're just always trying to find ways the women can build more and more relationships um, with people. And then for those who maybe aren't in the Tampa area, we have an Amazon wish list that we keep updated pretty regularly. So those are usually with like house supplies, needs for our outreach team, and then just different random things that we might need. So like even we're about to put one out that's like Easter because like we, we do yeah. for every holiday, we always put out like a special wish list because we try to redeem the holidays and like make sure the women feel like extra loved and extra special that are in our house. So like helping us, you know, with those gifts um, is such a need. We have to do this pretty regularly like on our Facebook and Instagram, which is just like at Created Women. So, I mean, prayer is obviously just such a big one too uh, for the work that we're doing um and then there's plenty of ways that people can donate i mean monthly donors yearly donors um all of those things are you know we couldn't exist without our donor family um so that's definitely a huge need that we always have and we've had people to volunteer that don't live in tampa like by helping with like our emails or helping with our website and things like that so there's like a lot of different ways we're very open to volunteers. and in- Well, I remember something that you guys shared with me um, when we, you know, at a pop-up at my house several years ago, or, you know, it may have even been the first time I heard about Created. I can't remember, but, you know, the transporters, I think, and you tell me if this is still true or not, but whoever's driving the car in street outreach, does it need to be a man? That's our goal. It's not always, like, sometimes we won't have men volunteers, so we'll have a woman drive, but... Um, that is one way that men can get involved too yeah, is yeah. our outreach team. So we usually try to have two men and two women in the vehicle on street outreach. And so it's, yeah, they, they drive and they kind of watch because when we do street outreach, we get out of the car and we go walk up to a woman. So they park a little distance away, not too far, but a little distance away so that the woman doesn't feel like she's being like a car's like coming at her, <laughs> park a little distance away. And then we walk up to her. Um, and so they kind of watch to make sure if a man is approaching or if somebody looks like, cause there's a lot of things on the street that we can't see. So, mm-hmm. um, like it, it's not uncommon that if she has a pimp or a trafficker, like he might be at some place watching. And so the men will see that and they'll be able to drive up and be like, Hey, it's time to go. Or, and then we can ask her like, you know, are you okay? Do you want to go? Do you need us to take you somewhere? That happens a lot on street outreach that will like be able to take them somewhere or get them something to eat, all those things. But yeah, that's definitely a way that, so men are definitely welcome volunteers at Created as well. And I think the reality is we want, we want to show um, like healthy men who are not trying to use them, you know? Yeah. Well, and I remember that was another aspect of having you all do Oasis dinners. Do you, Mm -hmm. okay. And that's where small groups sometimes bring a meal into the residential home or every Wednesday, um, we have a volunteer that uh, volunteers sign up to cook dinner or provide dinner for our weekly dinner that we do. So we, it's a dinner and Bible study. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember saying it was so nice when men join yeah. in on that because it does show the women yeah. there are men out there who are men of integrity and who do value women and who aren't out to exploit you. Right. Yeah. And so I just remember that being something that was shared in our small group, you know, and talking about how it's such an awesome opportunity to just love on people if you're not someone who wants to go do street outreach. Yeah, there's definitely um, a lot of ways. And I think in our community, it's like there can be a lot of misconceptions of like, oh, well, what would it be like to volunteer? Like, is it, would it be safe? Would it be, you know, these things? But, you know, we definitely do a lot of training about that. 
And then also it's like, it's no different than ministering with, I mean, than working with other people. Like the one we serve are at the end of the day, just women who are coming from broken situations. They just want they, the same things we want relationship, honesty, people to laugh with, people to have a good time with. And so I think that's what we also our volunteers. It's like, that's all we need is just people who are like interested in building relationships because that's all we want at the end of the day. That's right. A friend of mine, Carrie here in Raleigh, she is a nonprofit owner. She runs Design for Joy, which provides a living wage for women coming out of vulnerable situations. And last week she had posted on Facebook basically the need, you know, does does a ministry like this exist in Raleigh? And she was basically describing Created. Uh-huh. And I had told her, I said, I don't think so. You know, to my knowledge, the answer is no, but I'm, I'm going to be interviewing Jillian in a couple of weeks. And so my question for you is, if we wanted to get something started like this in our city, mm-hmm. what are just a few tips to kind of I mean, I know it's a, it's a big, complicated process, so I'm not asking for all of that, but just a few tips to get the ball rolling in communities. Yeah, no, I think that's great. I always suggest to people, and we actually do have um, some different people from cities who have come and visited our work to try to start it in their city. So like, we're always open to that, and, and we're always open to share any information with anybody who's interested in doing this type of work. Um, like There's a Created in Gainesville now that they have an amazing outreach and amazing programs that they do. Um, and then we have street outreach teams in like St. Pete and Pasco and other places, but... Um, but for somebody who's interested in starting, I mean, so for Created, all, our culture is very much about outreach and meeting the woman where she's at. I always suggest like, okay, we'll start driving your city and find mm-hmm. out where the women are. Every city generally has like a main track is what the term is used yeah. where the women are working in prostitution. Um, if your city doesn't, then there probably is an area where there is a lot of prostitution happening. You just might not know about it yet. Mm-hmm. And so I think driving your city and trying to figure out like, okay, where are the women um, looking for clubs looking for massage parlors and then just going and praying in those places first and figuring like okay god like what do you want here what do you have to say here because it doesn't necessarily have to be street outreach but trying to find some way of like okay god how can we meet the needs and what does that look like first because i think and again this isn't bad because like if if somebody has a calling to like okay let me go start a residential program and like do all these things that's great but that is probably the hardest level of this you can get to and there's so many small steps that you can take first like me and the women where they're at, um, helping her find resources, connecting her to treatment if it's needed or counseling, all those things. So we always say like first go and pray in your city and figure out where the women are. Um, the second step would just be start meeting them, bring them gifts, um, get to know them, and then figure finding out what the resources are in your city. So like what drug yeah. treatment centers already exist, what therapists already exist that would be willing to see somebody who's like working towards their recovery, um, what housing already exists, um, whether it's if it's not specific to women who are uh, who have been trafficked, it might be um, that there's a women's shelter, that there's a women and children's shelter, that there's um, treatment programs that will house women. So it's like, what are the housing resources that are exist and just start compiling those lists because that's what we did for the first year it was just like trying to get people into housing that already happened and it can be a frustrating process but at least then you know like these are all the things that I that I can already resource women to and then if it comes to like okay we feel like we want to start a residential program and we want to pursue that there's so many resources and things that exist out there now for that but yeah I always think just start small 
and start figuring out like, okay, well, this is the heart. So who are the women? How can I meet them? And then what are their needs? And I think that's the one thing that I really like when I look at the history of created that I still appreciate about our growth is it always came out of what's the next need that the women has. So like, I love that because so often we don't function. We just put on people what we think they need versus asking them the question. You know, it's definitely like, that's how our housing got started. That's how our non-residential program got started. And that's how we also do have um, a social enterprise that we've been kind of growing and working on for the last couple of years, where the women hand make soaps and salt scrubs and jewelry that they like hand um, print. And that came out of like, okay, all of our women have felony records and we cannot get them jobs. They enjoy. And so how can we provide something that's creative and makes them feel valued and, and gives them dignity? Um, and so we can only hire a couple women at a time right now, but like, that's why that was needed. I think that's the important question is to just, um, if you're, if you're looking to do something in your community is to start looking at those questions and saying like, okay, what's the next need? And what are the women saying that they need? Um, cause I feel like if you don't, if you haven't met the women yet and you haven't started talking to them yet, you're not going to really know what their need is because every city is very different mm-hmm. in culture and dynamics. And so what's right for Tampa is not going to be right for like Raleigh. So yeah, there might be similarities of course and there's definitely programs that we've learned from in other cities that we've adopted yes. a lot of their strategies but yeah it's I think just learning like okay what exists and what do the women need and where can I where can I resource them to awesome well as we come to the end of the show first tell everybody and you kind of already did this but where we can find created on the internet and the social media I think you said it's at created women on Facebook and Instagram yeah and then our website is www.createdwomen.com Okay. And is the Amazon wish list on the website or is it just on the social media pages? I think right now it's just on the social media, but we are going to be adding it to the website soon. We actually have somebody working on redoing a couple of things on our website, but we share it often on Facebook posts. So you can definitely find the links on there. And then there's also links on there to our, um, we have an Etsy shop where we sell the soaps and scrubs and stuff. So you can purchase those as well. Um, and so those, and again, like every purchase of that goes directly to a woman helping to provide her a job um so that's exactly what it goes to so there's soaps um scrubs jewelry and we sell t-shirts too through the website you can actually there's a page that you can link to to email us so that's the easiest way well so the last question i'm going to ask and i ask all of um my guests this usually one to three questions but we have had a great conversation so i'm going to keep it to one we all need the grace of god in our lives and if you're a believer, you know that that really you just don't make it through a day without it. But there are seasons where we have to cling to the grace of God so much more tightly than others. Is there a season in your life that you can share with us where you really felt like you had to cling to that unmerited favor, that grace of God? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, I think so for me, you know, I shared about that I have three children and my first two, Anthony and Ontario, are actually adopted. Well, actually, Anthony's adopted. Ontario's, um, his case is still open, but he will be adopted soon. My husband and I, when we were early in our marriage, we've actually had multiple pregnancy losses. And so kind of in the midst of that and kind of figuring out like, okay, God, 
why what does this mean what does that what does that mean it's like our boys actually like literally were like kind of dropped into our lap <laughs> out of nowhere and so I think that's the biggest instance of my life I mean um it was actually as I mentioned my husband works in the foster care system and Anthony who's our oldest his dad was um one of his was the very first case that he was ever assigned wow in the foster care system and so he was like probably about 16 15 at the time him and Paul developed a really great relationship and then as when he was older and Anthony, the, through their circumstances of his mom and dad, when Anthony himself ended up in the foster care system, he called and said, like, would you guys take him in? And he was six months old at the time, um, Anthony was. And so my husband said yes without even asking me. <laughs> and just That's we amazing, though. Yes. And, um, and again, like it was pretty early on in, um, in like our own story of like how our family would be built. And I think, yeah, it was like God just gave us this blessing and it was, a, and it took a while to process. But when I, when I finally came to a good place with everything, it was like, God was saying like, no, this is, this is always my plan for you. And this mm -hmm. is, there's no understanding of like why loss happens or bad things happen or whatever. But it's like, God is always saying like, no, but I have purpose for you and I am good. I will give you what you need. And so I think um, for me, it was like that season of just like coming into motherhood. That's been like probably the area I need God's grace the most. Listen, listen, parenting. Woo. Yeah. How do I do this? What does it look like? And so I think keeping that reminder of like, okay, God just reminding me like, no, but this is what I have for you and we can keep moving forward. So that was Anthony was six months old when he came to live with us and we adopted him when he was almost three. Um, and then his brother came to live with us probably a couple months after that um, wow. when he was born. So he came at three days old. And then our youngest, we actually just had like a surprise pregnancy at uh, last year. Um, so out of nowhere, God's grace that that even happened and wow. that he was born. And so I think God just continually reminding us of like, no, I have a purpose and I have a plan. And I think that's been the season of my life where um, I need and, um, but God is constantly reminding me of his grace and his mercy and, and definitely on the day to day with parenting. <laughs> like, I can have a lot of grace at here at created. It's like for some, it's just so easy to like be more gracious with my staff and with the women, but at home it's just like, Oh my gosh. I need there is nothing that shows me my need for Jesus more than parenting. Parenting my children. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jillian, thank you so much for being here today. I really, really appreciate it. And I just hope that our listeners take the opportunity to educate themselves about created and like you said, just about what's going on in their city. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's the best thing that people can do is just start learning because um, you can look at trafficking statistics and they can be so huge. And, and But it's like really think about like, well, what's actually around me and what what are the issues that are in my city? Because it can look very different from city to city, but there's always a need because no matter where you are, like women are being hurt. And so I think like, how can we help our sisters is such an important question. Yes. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Be sure to check out the show notes for links and resources at graceenoughpodcast.com. Be sure to head over to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Google Play and subscribe. Clicking that subscribe button helps to make sure you never miss a new episode of the Grace Enough Podcast. If you share the show on social media, be sure to use the hashtag Grace Enough Podcast or tag me at Grace Enough Podcast underscore Amber on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.